man. How unwavering our hope. It is good to worship together outside, and we are doing this because we are currently refreshing the auditorium, but how beautiful that the church continues and gathers outside, not requiring a building, but man, you know, I love a little air conditioning every once in a while. Um, and more than that, uh, pretty special, right? I'm thankful for your generosity to continue to help us provide uh, a space for us to gather, but beautiful to be outside. And if you're not doing anything this Thursday, I hope you get to join our women at a little connection point, young or old and anywhere in between. I hope there's an opportunity for you to hang with some of our women around here uh, as Michelle and her team puts on a great uh, ice cream time to connect. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. You made it. You arrived. Ugh, would have been nice to hear some music, but you arrived for some part of it here. Uh, but, but we're doing this series, Together We Believe, and, uh, and there's this gap that exists between our minds being engaged and what we experience is real. And, and, and I remember we drove to Yellowstone a few summers ago, and, uh, and I'd watch people taking selfies with buffalo and elk, and, and, and I'd, I'd be thinking, man, if they only knew what these animals could do to them, they'd be a little bit more experiencing the reality of, of what they were doing. And sometimes it feels like in the Christian life, uh, this is true for us. Where, where these deep truths that we believe to be true aren't always experienced as real. And, and the possibility could be, well, we just need to stir up some emotions. Instead, what we've been doing over the summer is spending time revitalizing our view of who God is, engaging the mind, believing if we start there, it's going to impact our heart. And so this morning, we are talking about the spirit we embrace and so the possibility when you hear us talk about the Holy Spirit, two words might go through your mind, oh no, or it's about time. And so it feels like we fall into one of these two extremes where we either obsess about the Holy Spirit or, or, or he's completely absent from our life. And so I hope this morning as we press in to life with the Spirit, uh, we hear the words of Jesus from John 16 verse 27, where he says this, John 16, it's in your bulletin, 16, verse 7, if we're struck by this reality, John quotes Jesus saying this, the disciples are wondering what's going on, and, and they're saying, Jesus, well, where are you going? What are you doing? Well, what's happening? And Jesus says this, where are you going is the question. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. We read those words, and I don't know if we fully hear what Jesus is saying, that we have the Spirit of God inside of us. J.D. Greer says it this way. He says, the Spirit like the wind, just maybe tapering what I was about to say. J.D. Greer says, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Oh, oh, just gentlemen and scholars. Thank you, Eric. That the Jesus beside you is good, 
But man, he says the spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. What does that mean? And, and last week, we didn't get to hear... I don't know if you guys know this. The Bucks won in six. Do you guys remember this? Bucks in six. We didn't actually get to hear about that last week. So I felt like there was an opportunity here to talk about the Bucks in six. Uh, because I, I've reached the point, maybe some of you guys can identify with this. I've reached the point in my life where I just play old man basketball. You guys know what that is? Where there's other people on the court that actually play the whole court and they score buckets, and then I just usually run from foul line to foul line. Is usually what happens. I run to this side and I ding around, and then they score, and then I just kind of play defense, but then I'm not back there in time, and then they score, and then I just run foul line to foul line. I've moved into, you know, I just, I just want to not get hurt, right? That's kind of the old man basketball that I've moved into. Now imagine that I had this conversion experience. And now the spirit of Giannis Antetokounmpo lives in my life. Just imagine for a second if that were true. How might my life be different? I might be able to jump out of the gym, right? You would be, you'd be in awe of the work that was being done on the court in and through my life. Jesus has said, I've sent the helper to you, and you have the spirit spirit in you. And yet when I look at my life, at least on the basketball court, it would not appear to anyone in any stretch of the imagination I had the spirit of Giannis in my life. The saddening part for me is when I reflect on my experience sometimes in the spiritual life, you'd wonder, David, I, you've, tell, you've told me you have the spirit of God in your life. And yet, what does it often look like? It doesn't look like my life is all that different from the world around us. And so here's what I hope we're going to do. I hope, I hope what we share this morning disrupts you a little bit. And yet simultaneously, I don't think we're going to say anything new today. Because here's our conviction. That we believe the Holy Spirit in all he does glorifies the Lord Jesus. He convicts the worlds of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. And he indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. That's a mouthful. And so what I hope we get to spend time this morning on, much like a magician like Tom Kristoff, he's going to save the big reveal for the end. I just want to tell you right up front, we're just going to spend some time on this, on this part of our doctrine. What does it mean to believe that he indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ? like service and what i think is going to happen there won't be anything new but i hope there's a revitalization of what it means for the church to live out life in the spirit in our monday to saturday so pray with me as we dig in to the spirit we embrace god you're so good
Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life. Reveal yourself, we pray every week. Reveal yourself and help us hear what it means to experience your spirit a little bit more fully. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read it one more time. But we want to focus on that last part of our doctrine as we engage our mind and see our hearts awakened. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all he does glorifies the Lord Jesus. He convicts the worlds of its guilt. He regenerates sinners. And in him, they are baptized in a union with Christ, adopted as heirs in the family of God. Here's where we're landing. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers to Christ-like service. So what happens when a community who is indwelt and empowered by the Spirit gathers? What happens? The Great Commission, we see these disciples sent out. And I want to read Matthew 18 And then I want to read Luke, and I want you to hear a slight difference that Luke makes when the church is sent out. These words may be familiar. In Matthew, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Luke adds a slight nuance. Here's what Luke says. Then Jesus said to him, them, these are my words that I spoke to you. I was still with you that everything was written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to the understanding of the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And then he says this. I mean, pep talk from Jesus, right? Go live this out. But he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So there's something so important about accomplishing this mission of Jesus, the person and work of Jesus being shared with those around us, that he says, wait. I mean, The the known world. Life was short. Hell is hot. The known world was needing this message of hope. And Jesus said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes. So there's something so important about this being filled and empowered and indwelt and living out this life of the Spirit that Jesus said, wait before you head out on this mission. What is that? So we're going to look at the Old Testament and how the work of the Spirit was then. We're going to look at the New Testament, and then I hope by the end we're going to say, so what does it actually look like for an assembly, a people, to be filled with the Spirit? So buckle up. We're going to the Old Testament. You ready? We're flying. I'm just going to let you know. We're flying because I, I want to respect these little five-year-olds that are running around. So what does it mean for believers to be convicted of sin to experience God's holiness, and then actually weep before shouting. You're doing a great job, Christy. And there's no cat. 
You guys remember the cat? Stinking cat. So in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit shows up when? Right at the beginning, Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was deeply involved in creation. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job 34, 4. Psalm 104. When you send forth your Spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. The Spirit is deeply involved in this creation. And he manifests God's presence. Psalm 51, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Where shall I go from your spirit? In Psalm 139, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. If you're anything like me, I feel like there's this disconnect between the Spirit's involvement in the Old Testament and what I experience now. Instead, what I hope you hear The Spirit has been involved the whole time. Three quick stories of people empowered by the Spirit in the Old Testament. Gideon says this. Gideon, one of the judges in Israel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Aborites were called out to follow him. One of David's mighty men, one of his soldiers, Amasai, clothed with the Spirit. Then the Spirit clothed Amasai, chief of the 30, and he said, we are yours, David, and with you, O Jesse, peace be with you. Peace to your helpers, for God helps you. One more, one of the prophets, Zechariah, says this. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood about the people and said to them, thus says the Lord, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. The presence of the Spirit is this bold proclamation and assurance of the confidence of what we believe. Now we're going to accelerate to the New Testament, right? And just pausing on this for a second, can you sit in a community of faith for 30 years and not see any markable difference in your life? What would it look like for a community to be so filled and aware of the Spirit's presence? That the spirit of Giannis lives in me and it remarkably made a difference on the way I played basketball. Jumping to the New Testament. Jesus in John 14 to 16 makes a massive deal of the spirit. John 14. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. There was an old guy named Henry Blackaby wrote a, wrote a book called Experiencing God. He says, I want to perceive the presence of where God is moving. And, and I want to join him there. So Ephesians 5 strikes me this way. You guys know Ephesians 5.18? Paul says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What does he mean that we are filled with the Spirit when he says that in the New Testament? You guys love Greek? So I'm just going to give a, a, a quick Greek grammar lesson here. When you hear Paul say, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, what do you usually hear? Does anybody have a bottle of water? You want to toss me a bottle of water, Braxton? There it is. All right. So imagine this bottle of water. 
And, and when you hear filled with the Spirit, and, and maybe you see it and it's about three quarters full, what do you think? Do you say, is it full? No, you're like, well, I, 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 must, I, I guess I got to add more water. And then, you know, every once in a while, you know, if you're like me, you're like, well, I sin. You're like, once a year, I sin, and, and some of that water pours out, and I, I need to be fi- filled again. And what, what does it mean that he says, be filled with the Spirit? Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. I think that's a poor illustration of what he means. Because when we are baptized by the Spirit, we are converted. We have the Spirit in us. We don't get more of the Spirit. He says, be filled. What does he mean? In the Greek, it's a present, happening now, passive, not something I can will, imperative. It's done to me, passive, imperative, it has to happen. So being filled with the Spirit, he says, be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? That it is happening continually, but it's not something I'm doing. Instead, I'm opening myself up for something to happen to me. I already have the Spirit. 100%. I already have them. It's full. And yet in some way, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. I think in the same way, you know, 12 years ago, I'm celebrating my anniversary, 12 years of marriage coming up on August 21st. I know my anniversary. Don't even worry about it. On August 21st, we've been going to the Mariner's Inn for the past two years. Love that place. Anyway, I became a husband. Casey became a wife 12 years ago. Can I become any more of a husband? No, I'm a, I'm a husband already. But I'm growing more into what it means to be a husband. Some of you that have been married like 100 years, or maybe like 50 years, 25 years, a long time. I mean, you're growing in to what it means to be a spouse more. You guys at a year, you think you have it all figured out. You're like, what is so hard about this thing called marriage? You're like a year in thinking, what's so hard about this? Go talk to anyone who's been married more than two. Might be, might be the situation. But what does it mean that I'm growing into becoming more of a husband? I'm growing more into the fullness of my marriage. I'm already married. I'm not becoming more of a husband, and yet there's this component where I'm becoming more. Paul does this all the time. He says, your old self has died, and then what does he say almost in the same breath? Man, we're just making sure we're theologically accurate here. All the time, what does Paul say? Your old self has died, and what does he say? So kill your old self, right? There is this tension that we are full of the Spirit, and yet we continue to grow into what that means. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. What does it actually look like today? So what would that mean to actually increasingly be filled with the Spirit? You guys got any thoughts? How does that happen? I mean, that feels so abstract. Turn to Luke 11, verse 11. What's he say? You're like, we didn't bring a Bible, David. We're sitting outside. We're enjoying the weather. It's like 72 degrees and sunny. What does he say in Luke 11, verse 11? How's this happen? How do we actually experience more? Here's what he says. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give what? Man, sometimes in the, in the Christian life, we go, I, I just want the good stuff of God. You know, I just, if I just had good circumstances, if, if I just had all the open doors, you're doing a great job, Ashley. Okay, give it up for Ashley. Nice job. Moms are the real MVPs, right? They are. He is a real MVP. So I, I go, what does that mean? What does it mean that we should pray and ask? To ask, seek, and knock for what? What does he say? He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So what might it look like? Now, I I just assume, I just assume you're here because you want to grow. I just assume that, that we want more, that we look at our life And we go, I believe these things to be true about who God is, and yet my heart isn't as fully engaged. Whether you've been following Jesus for like five minutes, maybe you just came to faith now, or for 50 years, we want more of following Jesus. So what does he actually say? He says, be filled with the Spirit, not because I'm somehow willing it, but rather there's an openness to ask. So I got three encouragements here. How might we actually see more of this spirit we embrace. And we're not talking about the weird stuff, right? So I, I had a buddy, an old worship pastor. Because I come from more of, of, a, of a conservative place where I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? That would be more the path I'm coming from. I was talking to a buddy who was a worship pastor, and, and he was explaining, uh, so Jack uses this thing called planning center to plan things out. And I noticed one of the volunteer slots on his worship thing, not Jack's, but this other buddy, was called the cloth bear. I'm like, what's, what's the cloth bear? He goes, well, you know, sometimes when women are slain in the spirit and they have dresses on, you got to have someone who just put a cloth on it really quick. I'm, oh, I mean, that, that makes sense. Makes sense. So what does it actually look like? Ephesians 5, 19. What would it look like to be filled more with the spirit? He says this. That we would address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's my hope. Three things that I hope we, how, how would we actually experience more of the Spirit? And you guys know this, whatever I'm afflicted with this week, I just pass it on to you. You guys understand that, right? Whatever is afflicting me as I'm going through this stuff, I just want to pass it on to you and share. So here's where I hope we start. That I actually want to really read. I want to really read what God has said in his inspired scriptures. That I want to saturate ourselves in his word. John 6, Jesus says this. That God established a life-giving connection between his spirit and word saying, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That that I don't need to look for something else. Instead, I am anchored in the word of God as the inspired, life-giving words. That I really want to read this stuff. When we jump into James and we jump back into life groups in the fall, I hope you jump in. We really want to read this stuff. 
But beyond just reading it, I hope here's the second encouragement. We really want to know it. That we really want to read and we really want to know. And then I want to ask that I claim to believe in these realities. Here's what I'd hope we ask. What would it mean to quench that spirit? What would it mean to grieve that spirit? That I really want to ask, God, what, in what ways am I grieving your spirit? In what ways am I grieving your heart that I really want to ask? And I'm going to guess he's going to tell you. <laughs> that I really want to know the text, and then I really want to know, God, how am I grieving your spirit? Because if it comes back, you know, I shouldn't have yelled at that guy, and I probably should ask for forgiveness. You know my tendency? I'm just going to squash that. I really need to ask for forgiveness. I've been forgiven by God. Do I really... What is that? What do you call that? What does it mean to grieve the Spirit? So my hope is to really know and then to really ask, in what way am I grieving your Spirit? David tells us this all over the Psalms. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. that I really want to read and I really want to know and ask. In what way am I grieving your spirit? Can I go 30 years as part of a community of faith and see no markable difference in my life? We really want to read. We really want to know. And then anyone want to guess what the third might be? We really want to live. That there is this outpouring of obedience that actually flows from really wanting to seek the Spirit and ask, what grieves your heart? And I actually want to live this out of my life. And I don't know what it is that's your burden. This is where, this is where the church is not just a singing and teaching event we attend on a Sunday morning. What's actually happening here? There's assembly of people that are wanting to follow Jesus, encourage one another, and through the power of the Spirit, seek transformation in the lives around us. I don't know what that burden is for you. I don't know where that burden might be for you. Whether it is an unreached people group. You look around the hurt and trauma that our county feels like it's experiencing now. Greed or waste or corruption. Injustice, pain. The elderly, <laughs> the young. I don't know what that passion or burden is for you, but what might it look like to really live? Braxton, would you come up here for a second? To really, to really read and to really know and ask, God, what is grieving your spirit in my life? and then to really live. I just think of it kind of like riding a bike. Braxton, would you sit there? Just stay there for one second. Just one second. 
It's got bat Batman socks. Fantastic. And, and, I, and, I, and I equate it to something like this. Like riding a bike or a tractor. Whichever one. In your mind, what are you driving? I don't know. For Brian Stefile, he's driving his 1990 Reds Firebird. I don't know. Maybe you're driving a minivan. I've been converted to the minivan life. Ugh. But it feels like this to me. That there is, there is an openness and a posture we take. Braxton, will you start, will you start driving? Because God's not guiding us this way, right? There's a direction. We really read and there's a directionality to it as God guides us. There's a posture we take of openness and he's guiding us. So keep going, Braxton. And every once in a while, oh, look at that. God just steps in, I think, in a real powerful way. Not something we willed, but God steps in, fills us with his spirit because of a posture of openness and moving and asking the question, God, where am I grieving your spirit? And causes us to avoid these things as we continue driving. Keep going, Braxton. You're doing, look at it. It's just working hard. Just feels like my life as I'm just trying to grind it out sometimes. But what happens if God doesn't step in? What do we do? Is God somehow absent? Braxton, you're killing it right now. You're, you're just absolutely doing it. What do you do? Does somehow the spirit lead? Do I not have enough of the spirit in me? Instead, I actually would say, no, it's actually this movement of falling back and trusting. Trusting what? The path of the godly, godly wisdom and directionality that we have seen in and through the text. And we long for those moments, I would say, where I just get another glimpse, opening up this posture of saying, God, I want you to fill me with your spirit. Braxton, nice job, man. Well done. So here's what I hope for Hillcrest this week. I don't think anything was new. I don't think anything was profound in this sense that you go, David, I've never heard that before. Here's what I hope we're doing. We are not tied to some kind of methodology or trick that is somehow going to make the spirit work. Instead, we are community saturated and sitting under the text week in, week out, convicted of sin in utter awe of God's holiness and praying earnestly and watching attentively to step in the gospel opportunities that are all around us. Pray with me. God, you're so good. We want more of your spirit. We want you to fill us with your spirit as Paul encourages us and, and simultaneously <laughs> trust that it's you doing the work, not on our own. We want to see you work, and so we want to really read your word, convinced of these promises, in order to really know and really ask God, what is grieving you about our lives, so that we can really live into the fullness of being followers of you. Always for your glory we pray. Amen.